0: Towards sundown, they finally reached the top of the slope and found themselves looking down into the center of the Black Island. Tom hadn't realized until now that it was an extinct volcano, but from here it was obvious. The steep, black crags ringed an almost circular bowl of land, green and patched with fields, almost directly below the place where the pirates crouched. A small, static settlement stood beside a blue lake. There were airship hangars and mooring masts beside the stone buildings, and on the flat ground behind them, dwarfing the whole place, Airhaven perched on a hundred skinny landing legs, looking as helpless as a grounded bird. "'The air caravan, Sarai!' chuckled TV He pulled out his telescope and put it to his eye. "'Look at them work! They're pumping their gas bags back up, desperate to get back into the sky!' He swung the glass quickly across the surrounding hillsides. No sign of any of our boys. Oh, if only we had a cannon left. We'll manage, eh, lads? A bunch of airy fairies is no match for us. Come on, let's get closer. There was a strange edge to the mayor's voice. He's frightened, Tom realized, but he can't admit it in case Mungo and Mags and Ames lose faith in him. He had never thought he would feel sorry for the pirate mayor, but he did. Peavy had been kind to him in his way, and it hurt him to see him reduced to this, scrambling across the wet ground with his people muttering and cursing him behind his back. They still followed him, though, down between the screes and the crater of the old fire, Fire Mountain. Once they saw riders silhouetted on a distant crag, a patrol of islanders hunting for survivors from the sunken pirate town. Once, an airship flew low overhead, and Peavy hissed at everybody to lie flat and stay still, wrapping his monkey under his robes to muffle its shrill complaints. The airship circled, but by that time the sun had gone down, and the pilot did not see the figures who cowered in the twilight below him like mice hiding from an owl. He flew back down to land at the caravanserai, as a fat moon heaved itself over the eastern crags. Tom gave a sharp sob of relief and scrambled up. Around him, the others were also starting to move, grunting, dislodging small stones that went clattering away down the hillside. He could see people hurrying about with lanterns and torches in the streets of the Caravanserai and lamplit windows that made him think how wonderful it would be to to be warm and safe indoors. Airhaven was bright with electric lights, and the wind brought the distant sounds of shouted orders, music cheering. "'For Pete's sake!' hissed Mungo. "'We're too late! It's leaving!' "'Never!' scoffed Peavey. But they could all see that Airhaven's gas bags were almost full. A few minutes later, the growl of its engines came rumbling up the slope, rising and falling as the wind gusted. The flying town was straining upward its crab-like legs folding back into place underneath it. "'No!' shouted Peavy. Then he was running downhill, scrambling and tumbling down, clattering spills of scree toward the flat, boggy land in the crater floor, and as he ran, they heard him screaming, "'Come back! You're my catch! I sank my town for you!' Mungo and Mags and Ames set off after him, with Hester and Tom behind." At the foot of the slope, the ground grew soft and squashy underfoot, and pools of water reflected the moon and the lights of the rising town. Come back! They could hear Peavy shouting somewhere ahead of them. Come back! And then, oh, oh, help! They hurried toward the sound of his voice and the harsh screams of the monkey, and all came to a halt together at the edge of the deep patch of bog. Peavy was already up to his waist in it, the monkey perched on top of his head like a sailor on a foundering ship, grinning with fear. "'Give me a hand, boys!' the mayor pleaded. "'Help me! We can still get it! It's only testing its liftin' engines! It'll come down again!' The pirates watched him silently. They knew they had no chance of taking the flying town, and that his shouts had probably warned the islanders of their presence. "'We've gotta help him!' whispered Tom, starting forward, but Hester held him back. "'Too late!' she said. Peavy was sinking deeper, the weight of his chain of office pulling him down. He spluttered as the black mud swilled into his mouth. "'Come on, lads, Megs, mungo. I'm your mayor. I've done this all for you!' He searched for Tom with wild, terrified eyes. "'Tell him, Tommy boy!' he whimpered. "'Tell him I want to make Turnbridge Wheels great. I want it to be respectable. Tell him!' Mungo's first shot blew the monkey off the top of Peavy's head in a cloud of singed fur. The second and third went through his chest. He bowed his head, and the mud gulped him down with soft farting noises. The pirates turned to look at Tom. We probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, muttered Mungo. If you hadn't have gone filling the chief's head up with all these ideas about manners and cities and stuff, agreed Mags. Different forks for every course and no talking with your mouth full, sneered Ames. Tom started to back away. To his surprise, Hester stepped quickly between him and the pirates. It's not Tom's fault, she said. And you're no use to us either, Mungo growled. Neither of you. We're pirates. We don't need no lessons in etiquette and we don't need no lame Scarface girl to hold us up. He raised his gun and Mags followed suit. Even Mr. Ames pulled out a little revolver. And a voice out of the darkness said, They're mine. Okay, this is chapter 20 of Mortal Engines. It's called The Black Island. At dawn, Shrike comes to the edge of the sea. The tide is turning and the deep wheel marks that lead down into the surf are already starting to blur. Eastward, Smoke rises from settlements on the shores of the Black Island. The stalker wrenches his dead face into a smile, feeling pleased with Hester Shaw and the trail of destruction that she has left behind her. The thought of Hester is all that dragged him through the marshes. On and on, it has drawn him through mud, it has sucked at his damaged leg, and sloughs whose bitter waters sometimes closed over his head but at least the tracks in the suburb left were easy to follow. He follows them again now, stalking down the beach and into the waves like a swimmer bent on a morning dip. Salt water slaps at the lenses of his eyes and seeps stinging through the gashes in his armor. The sounds of the gulls and the wind fade replaced by the dim hiss of of the underneath of the sea. Air or water, it makes no difference to the resurrected men. Fish goggle at him and dart away into the forests of the kelp. Crabs sidle out of his path, rearing up and waving their pincers at him as if they are worshiping a crab god, armored, invincible. He plows on, following the water scent of the oil and axle grease that will lead him to Turnbridge Wheels. A few miles from the inlet where they had come ashore, Chrysler and Peavy paused at the top of the steep rise and waited for the others to catch up. They came slowly, first Tom and Hester, then Ames with his map, finally Mags and Mungo bent under the weight of their guns. Looking back, they could see the steep rocky flanks of the island falling to the sea and a cluster of boats gathered above the wreck of Turnbridge wheels, where a raft with a crane on it had already been anchored. The islanders were wasting no time in looting the drowned suburb. "'Mossy scum!' growled Peavy. Tom had barely spoken to the mayor since they first came struggling ashore. Now he was surprised to see tears gleaming in the little man's eyes. He said, "'I'm so sorry about your family, Mr. Peavy. I tried to reach them, but—' "'Little twerps!' snorted Peavy. "'I wasn't sniffling over them. It's my lovely suburb. Look at it! Damn mossies!' just them. From somewhere to the south, they heard the faint clatter of gunfire. Peavy's face brightened. He turned to the others. Hear that? Some of the lads must have got ashore. There'll be more in a match for them mossies. We'll link em up with em. We'll capture Airhaven yet. Keep a few of its people alive to repair it. Kill the rest and fly back to the mainland rich. Drop out of the sky in a few fat towns before word gets around that Airhaven's gone pirate. Catch ourselves the city, maybe. He set off again, hauling himself up from boulder to boulder with the monkey riding on his hunched shoulders. The others followed behind. Mags and Mungo seemed dazed by the loss of Turnbridge wheels and not convinced by Peavy's latest plan. They kept exchanging glances and muttering together when their mayor was out of earshot. But they were in a strange country, and Tom didn't think they had the nerve to move, out, move against Peavy not yet. As for Mr. Ames, he had never set foot on the bare earth before. It's horrible, he grumbled. So difficult to walk on, all this grass. There may be wild animals or snakes. I can quite see why our ancestors decided to just stop living on the ground. Tom knew exactly how he felt. To north and south of them, the steep side of the Black Island stretched away, and above them the slope climbed almost vertically, vertically to dark crags that moaned with ghostly voices as the wind blew around them. Some of the higher pinnacles of rock had been sculpted into such wild shapes that from the beach they had looked like fortresses, and Peavy had led his party on a long detour to avoid them before he realized they were only stones. It's lovely sighed Hester limping along at Tom's side. She was smiling to herself, which he had never seen her do, and whistling a little tune through her teeth. "'What are you so happy about?' he asked. "'We're going to Airhaven, aren't we?' she replied in a little whisper. "'It's layered up ahead somewhere, "'and Peavy's little gang will never take it, "'not with Mossies and the Airhaven people "'ranged against them. "'They'll be killed, and we'll find a ship "'to take us north to London. "'Anna Fang's there, remember? "'She might help us again.' "'Oh, her,' said Tom angrily. "'Did you hear what Peavy said? "'She's a League spy.' "'I thought so,' admitted Hester. "'I mean, all those questions she kept asking us "'about London and Valentine.' "'You should have told me!' he protested. I might have revealed an important secret. Why would I care? asked Hester. And since when have apprentice historians known any important secrets? Anyway, I thought you realized she was a spy. She didn't look like one. Well, spies don't generally. You can't expect them to wear a big sandwich board with spy on it or a special spying hat. She was in a strange, jokey mood, and Tom wondered if it was because these dismal steeps reminded her of her girlhood on that other island. Suddenly, she touched his arm and said, "'Poor Tom, you're learning what Valentine taught me all those years ago. "'You can't trust anybody.' "'Huh?' said Tom. "'Oh, I don't mean you,' she added hurriedly. "'I think I trust you, almost. "'And what did your—' "'And what you did for me back in Turnbridge Wheels.' making Peavy let me out of the lockups like that. A lot of people wouldn't have bothered, not for somebody like me. Tom looked at her and saw more clearly than ever before the kind, shy Hester peeping from behind the grim mask. He smiled at her with such warmth that she blushed. At least her strange face turned red in passage and her scar went purple, or in patches, and her scar went purple. And Peavy looked back at them and hollered, Come on, you two lovebirds, stop whispering sweet nothings and march. Afternoon, the clouds clearing eastward and sunlight dazzling through the wave tops, flickering on the upper works of Turnbridge wheels. Shrike moves through the suburb streets with his head swinging slowly from side to side. Bodies drift in the flooded rooms like cold tea bags left too long in the pot. Small fish dart in and out of a pirate's mouth. A girl's hair coils on the current. Dark keels of salvaged boats move overhead. He waits, hidden in the shadows, while three naked boys come diving down, flying past him with urgent motions of their arms and legs and leaving trails of silver bubbles. They kick back to the surface carrying guns, bottles, and a leather belt. Hester is not here. Shrike turns away from the sunken suburb following the shadows of drifting oil slicks over the silt. Wreckage is strewn along the sea floor and floating bodies beckon him toward the roots of the Black Island. It is evening by the time he walks out of the surf, trailing flags of seaweed, water draining from inside his battered armor. He shakes his head to clear his vision and stares around him at a beach of black sand beneath dark cliffs. It takes him most of an another hour to find the life raft hidden in a tumble of house-sized boulders. He unsheathes his metal claws and tears the bottom out of it, cutting off her escape. Hester is his again now. When she is dead, he will carry her gently through the drowned sunlight in the forest of kelp, back through the marshes in the long league of the hunting ground to chrome. He will take her into London in his arms like a father carrying his sleeping child. He drops on all fours in the sand and starts sniffing for her scent.